0: Subscribe to The Truth Podcast today on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Slider Crusaders, America's the greatest country in the world. Thanks for being here. Welcome to our special, Renewing America's Faith in God. A couple of things. Damar Hamlin, the Bills, Buffalo Bills player, of course, collapsed on the field uh, recently. A fascinating thing happened afterward. Just, like, just from a 30,000 foot sociological view of, of America, a funny thing happened. Usually when a bad thing happens, some sort of tragedy or something like this, you'll hear people say, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. But for Demar, it was just pray. Pray for Demar. That was the rallying cry, like his number three, and he said, pray. Underneath, and it was everywhere. It was on Twitter, and there's a, a, a newspaper articles and TV commentators, players on the field praying. A TV pundit on TV prayed for like a minute. I've never seen that in my entire life. Like eyes closed, head bowed, prayed for tomorrow. It was him with two other anchors. We'll play a clip of it a little later. It's unbelievable. Hashtag just pray for tomorrow. And I thought, well, this is fascinating because we live in a, a pagan culture. So pray to who? So, like, I'm a Christian. Like I, like, I know who I'm praying to. But in our pagan culture, where did this pray for DeMar come from out of nowhere? That was interesting. We'll talk to a former NFL player in a couple minutes to get some more insight into that. Then I went on to iTunes. Uh, you know, we have a podcast, Politics by Faith, and I went on to see if it was loading properly. And the number one podcast in America, the top show, number one, The Catechism, the Catechism in a Year by Father Michael Schmitz. Number one podcast, number one podcast in the country. The number four podcast, Bible in a Year with Father Michael Schmitz. Number five podcast, The Bible Recap. I thought, what is going on here? So I thought maybe I was in like the, just like the religious category. No, this was all categories intermixed with like crime podcasts and all the rest. Number one, number four, number five? Huh? Then I saw a poll that something like 52% of people, their New Year's resolution is addressing their relationship with God. Huh? Something's going on here. Is there a resurgence of Christianity in America going on right now? Or, or maybe, let's back it up, maybe, maybe a little. Let's go like a half a step lower. Is there an opportunity for a resurgence in America of Christianity in America? Are people looking like they haven't in the past few decades? Are people searching like they haven't in the past few decades? Have people hit rock bottom of despair have people realized they can't do it on their own? Have people realized that they can't worship the God of money anymore as the economy is doing poorly? So they're searching for the one true God. I hope so. And that's why, that's what we're going to focus on today's Special Renewing America's Faith in God. I hope. Now, before we get to the talk of the renewal with our wonderful guests, I want to talk about what's going to happen when this great awakening happens in America. Because I believe there will be a great awakening. Another one? Uh, I don't know when. I don't know if it'll be 2023 or 2053. But there will be a great awakening in America. And I think before we do that, we need to count the cost. Because I'll tell you what will happen when there is. There will be persecution. This renewal of Christianity in America will not be taken kindly by the world. The world will not take it sitting down. So... We gotta talk about the persecution that is to come. We gotta count the cost of this awakening because the awakening will come at a cost. And to that I say, good. You gotta count the cost if you're interested in being a part of this renewal and awakening. There's gonna be a cost to it. So the first thing to know about persecution is it's nothing new. One of the themes of my podcast, Politics by Faith, is there's nothing new under the sun. And I think that's the best realization to relieve anxiety. It's to, uh, to disabuse yourself of the notion that whatever you're experiencing is unprecedented. It's not true. There's nothing new under the sun. We do that whenever anything bad happens. And any, anything in your life, my life, everyone's life, we all do this. We think we're the only one who this has ever happened to. Anytime a bad thing happens, I'm the only person who's ever been through this. It's like, no, it's never true. You're not alone. Whatever you're experiencing has happened before to someone. There's nothing new under the sun. So Peter wrote to the churches about the coming persecution in 1st Peter 4:12 he said beloved do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you <laughs> i love that don't don't act like something odd is happening this should be expected we've gone through we've gone through 200 or so years in this country of being a christian country 400 years if you go back to the pilgrims landing in 1620 so to 400 years, we'll say, of being a Christian country. Uh, we're not anymore. We haven't been, I should say, the last few decades. But the fact that we've been a Christian nation for so long, that's the odd thing. That's, that's the weird moment of world history. When we return to these Christian roots, then the persecution will come back. And that is to be expected. It's a guarantee, in fact. There's, there's been loosely three phases of uh, American culture, recent American culture, when it comes to uh, Christianity. And each phase has, has its own response from Christians. These are outlined by Aaron Wren. I'm stealing them from him. The first phase is the positive world. This is when society has a, a generally positive view of Christianity. So if you're a good man, if you're known as a good man in town, a good citizen, you're a church going man. That's part of being an upstanding citizen as you go to church. And, and if you're a Christian publicly, that's a status enhancer. And Christian moral norms are uh, like obvious. And if you violate them, then that's bad. And everyone knows that that's bad and there's negative consequences to that socially. That's the positive world. Then you have a neutral world where society has a neutral stance towards Christianity. It's no longer privileged status, but it's not negative either. Right? So you're known as a Christian man, and it's not positive, but it's not negative uh, on your social status. It's just kind of neutral, and Christianity is a valid option. There's this big public square of options, and this is one of many options that you could be, and it's fine and, and, and all good if, if that's what's best for you. And then you have the negative world, and that's what we've been in, certainly the past decade, where the, world, the country has a negative view of Christianity. And if you're known as a Christian man, that is a social negative, particularly among the elites. And if you espouse Christian morals, that's that's mean, that's bigoted, you're dangerous, you're a threat to the public order, you're a threat to these greater secular values. And if you talk about Christian moral values, you're you're violating uh, the, the, the secular norms and you're a bad person. That's where we've been. And I'm wondering if maybe we're going to be coming out of that now. But again, if when we do, when people do, and there's a group of our society that does take part in this great awakening, there's going to be even more hate coming from the secular world. John 15, 18 says, if the world hates you, this is Jesus talking, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, then the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He goes on and says, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. That's it. They persecuted me, they will persecute you. So we gotta talk about what it means to be persecuted. What does it mean, this word? You've heard it before, but what does it really mean? We gotta define this word. So there's different levels of persecution. There's places around the world where you'll be killed if you're a Christian. So note that uh, Nigeria is becoming one of the most dangerous places in the world for Christians. There was an attack at a church, killed 40 Christians. This was just a couple months ago. And of course it never made American media. 40 Christians were killed in church. In 2021, 3,530 Christians in Nigeria were martyred for their faith, 3,500. Of the top 10 countries where Christians were killed for their faith, I should say the top 10 where the most Christians were killed for their faith, nine of them were in Africa. Nine of the countries where Christians are killed for their faith are in Africa. Isn't that wild? But the country where churches, not just individual Christians, but churches have been attacked or shut down the most is by far China. In 2020, 3,088 churches in China were forced to close, close and the ones that were allowed to stay open have been completely infiltrated by communist propaganda. And they got Mao up on the, on the front of the church. and they're not, they're not churches. Government is God in China. So there's massive... Christian persecution going on right now around the world. India has a lot of Christian persecution. There's this idea that to be truly Indian you have to be Hindu. So the government there blocks a lot of foreign money coming into Christian hospitals or schools or churches in the name of protecting Christian or excuse me, uh, Indian national identity. There's a similar thing going on in Turkey. Like we got to uh, get back to uh, Islam. So any Christian, anything is gonna be persecuted against. The Hagia Sophia is a good, a good metaphor of this. The Hagia Sophia was originally built as a Christian church, 360. And then Justinian I built it, what we know it to be today in 532. But then Constantinople fell to the Muslims in 1453. So the Muslims turned the church into a mosque. And it was a mosque until 1935 when the president then turned it into a museum. So it was a museum from 1935 until 2018 when it was turned back into a mosque in the name of Turkish nationalism. Fascinating, So you have a lot of persecution going on around the world, way worse than we have it in America. But here's why, here's my theory as to why we don't have a a ton of that uh, obvious, explicit, physical, violent persecution against Christians in America. Here's my theory. They didn't need it. The, The pagans, the secularists, the atheists, the persecutors, they, didn't, they, they haven't needed to be violent. Do you know what I mean? With Christianity having been on the decline in America for so long, there's no need to kill Christians here. <laughs> the, 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 the culture is happy enough just keeping people from actually living their biblical principles. The, the secular culture is happy enough just letting people not take their faith seriously. In other countries, they have to kill the practicing Christians. Because the Christians there are an actual threat to their way of life. But in America for these past few decades, even most Christians aren't very different from the world. So if the culture of the day can just get into people's minds and tell them there's no such thing as truth and tell people that they're born good and don't need a savior, therefore don't need saving, if they can just convince people that uh, we all worship the same God and nice people go to heaven, That's all it is. You just got to be nice or at least nicer than that guy. And if, if, if our secular culture has been able to convince people that God isn't real, but if he is, you can pray to him every once in a while if you need something and maybe he'll give it to you like some sort of cosmic butler, but he doesn't require anything out of you. An organized religion is mean and oppressive and keeps you from Uh, doing the things you want to do, like having sex with as many people as you want and all the fun things that you want to do in life. So if the culture can keep convincing people in America that that these things are true, then there's no need to burn Christians at the stake. The culture is effective enough at keeping people from becoming Christian or living life as a Christian. But if there is, when there is, a Christian resurgence in America, then you can expect to see the physical crackdown. We saw glimpses of that during COVID lockdowns. That's just a little taste of what even our American government is capable of in the realm of persecution. So, there's three kinds of persecution to be aware of. Jesus says on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And here it is. Blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. So, the word persecuted, uh, the, the Greek word means to follow. It means to press hard after, to harass, to chase down, to chase down with the intent to harm. So there's this visual that, that this word implies of like a, like like dogs, like hounds chasing after a fox, continuing after with the goal of overtaking and destroying. That's the, the Greek concept of persecution, this word diokos. Right? So Jesus is saying, happy are the harassed. <laughs> Happy are the people who are continually harassed by the world. Wow, what an attitude. What an attitude. What a response of being persecuted. Lack of fear, lack of shame. I'm going to be a Christian and when persecution comes my way. Just let it be. So that's the first form of persecution is you're chased. You're chased away from things. You're chased away from jobs. You're chased away from the public square. You're chased away from TV. You're chased away from polite company, from elite company, from positions and places of influence. You're chased away. Some places places around the world, you're chased away from your home. You're constantly chased and harassed. That's the first form of persecution. The second form is you're insulted. Blessed are you when men cast insults. At you. The Greek word means to heap insults upon, to revile. So these are the people who mock you. Ah, oh, you fool. You believe in a flying spaghetti monster. That's a, You're so stupid. The people who heap insults upon you. So persecution is uh, to chase after. It can mean to insult. And Jesus also talked about those who slander, people who tell lies about you, t- attacking your integrity. That'll happen. You spend a lifetime to build your reputation. It can be crushed in an instant. You know, tolerance used to be the name of the game in our culture. <laughs> that ship has sailed. We live in a culture today where children's hospitals surgically mutilate children. They remove the body parts of transgender children. You think the people who do that are going to be tolerant of you? No. The more you speak the truth against what they're doing, the more you will be attacked. John MacArthur put it like this. He says in a culture like we, we've had today, where Vanderbilt Children's Hospital and most other children's hospitals do these types of things to little kids. How can Christians be anything but the arch enemy of everything? And the more Christians speak out, the more intolerant they're gonna be of you and the more persecution that will come. So again, the theme of today's show, and we're gonna to get to maybe the, the happiness and the joy of, of uh, this potential revival happening in America, but you gotta count the cost. You gotta know what's gonna happen. Because if there's a revival in America of Christian values, that means we're gonna speak out more and more against the culture of the day, which means that the world is gonna hate you even more than it does now. John 7, 7, Jesus says, it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. So the more Christians rise up and say, that's evil, the more the world is gonna hate you. But don't stress about the persecution. It's good. The persecution is good. God's greatest work is done in the midst of your suffering, always. The modern church has done a poor job in these last few decades of teaching about suffering. The prosperity churches teach you that if you have enough faith, only good things will happen to you. Therefore, when bad things happen, which of course they will, that's because you don't have enough faith. You need more faith. It's your fault. And that's wrong. Suffering is an expected part of the Christian life. It's a necessary part. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Take heart. The Greek word means to be of good courage, to be of good cheer. I love that. Take heart. To be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. The end is already written. James 1, one of my favorite scriptures, says, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, I don't want to be the person who just bemoans the broken culture of our day. I'd rather it not be like this in ways. Like, <clears throat> like <clears throat> no, let me back it up. I'm grateful that things are as bad as they are in our culture. When I grew up, culture was rotten, but it was good enough. And the rot was harder to see. So we let our guard down. But now it's so bad, it's obvious, more obvious than ever, that we need to do the opposite of what the world has been telling us to do. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that clarity. Some people say they don't wanna bring kids into a broken world like this. I disagree. I wanna bring as many kids as possible and raise them to be warriors against this broken culture and to be strong enough to face the persecution that will come from it. And then no matter what happens, take heart and be of good cheer and raise kids to be a light in a dark world. And I'm grateful that you are here to be that light as well. So is there a renewal of faith in America? I hope so. Let's be ready for it. Let's be ready for it when people ask. First Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready. Coming up next, We're gonna talk to the newest host here on the first, Liz Wheeler, and also former NFL player Jack Brewer has a new calling now, not just on the football field. We'll talk about DeMar Hamlin and some other amazing things that Jack Brewer is up to in our country and around the world. And then my thoughts on what to do in light of the persecution that has come. How do we respond to that? We have a revival, there will be persecution. Are you going to keep going? Are you gonna let them win? All that coming up next. Mike Slater, spread the word. Hey Slater Crusaders, welcome back to our special Renewing America's Faith in God. I am so excited and honored to welcome uh, not only our next guest, but the newest host, to join us here on The First TV, the wonderful Liz Wheeler, every day right here on The First at seven o'clock Eastern, fantastic. Liz, how are you?
2: I'm so good, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for the introduction. I'm so excited to be part of The First team. What you guys, I thought what you guys have been doing for a long time is great, and it's an honor to stand side by side with y'all. Seven o'clock Eastern, Monday through Friday. Uh, That's what we
0: do. It's a perfect fit. And I was so impressed, the first time we talked here, uh, we did a special on pornography. And you're just like so eloquent and articulate about it. And it's like, oh, awesome. Like to see someone that, as you said, we could stand side by side for in spiritual battles like that Uh, Is very important because I feel like that's the most important thing that we need to be dealing with in America. It's not just these political battles, but a bigger spiritual battle that's at play as well. So, the theme of our special today, Liz, is um, uh, like a renewal or awakening or revival in America. Do you see a possibility, maybe the seeds of that possibly happening in America today?
2: Yeah, this is, first of all, such a great special. I'm always so encouraged when people like you are willing to talk about. The battle of good versus evil, and not just mm. the battle of Republican versus Democrat. But a, I have a couple thoughts on this. I, I i went to NatCon in Miami, Florida back in September. It was the second time that I've been there. And I was talking to the organizer of the event. He's the chair of the Edmund Burke Foundation, Yoram Hazoni. And I was talking to him about the differences between NatCon 2 versus NatCon 1. He's an Orthodox Jew, he lives in Israel. And he says to me, he says, Liz, I see this spiritual awakening that's happening in the United States right now. And I said to him, are you sure about that? <laughs> I live here and I see this toxic culture um, permeating every aspect of our lives. And he said, no, one of the biggest differences between NatCon 1 and NatCon 2 is we have three different panels in NatCon 2 which are about Catholic doctrine or debates between Protestant um, theology versus Catholic theology, we have these young people who realize that the political battles that are happening between Republicans and Democrats aren't just your typical political battles, like, oh, how high should we build the fence or how much money should we tax people? (laughs) These questions that don't necessarily have an inherent rightness or wrongness to them. He said people Mm. in our country are realizing that these battles are part of a greater spiritual battle. And that in order for us to fight and win, we have to be properly centered in our own faith and proper understanding of what right is and what wrong is. And he says, that's what I see from, you know, across the world.
0: Amen. Perfectly said. I was, uh, I first started this whole radio TV thing 16 years ago and I cut my teeth on like Milton Freeman and like all the, like Henry Hazlitt, like all the economic issues. That was my first like opening. And uh, that's all important, of course. But uh, I feel like I've graduated onto the, the real important things that are actually happening, and the tax policy will follow. Uh, but, but we have other as a good and evil battles to happen. Do you... I don't know what rock bottom looks like. I feel like it can get a lot worse. I mean, when you read the Bible, there's, I'm reading Deuteronomy right now, and there's all the stuff there about, hey, don't do child sacrifice. So there's a lot further we can fall still, but do you see perhaps some elements of a rock bottom having been hit uh, at least for, for some people.
2: I hesitate to even make a prediction about what rock bottom could be because every time we feel that we've hit rock bottom morality-wise yeah. in our country, we seem to, I mean, we thought we were at rock bottom with the genocide of abortion and then we started transing kids, right? This is... This is yeah a horrendous thing. The the reason I think, Mike, that it's really important that we fight the battles of good versus evil is also because communism and Marxism are inherently atheistic ideologies. And when I say atheistic, I'm not just talking about denial of the existence of God. I'm talking about elevating false gods, which is in in and of itself Mm. a denial of the one true God. That's what Marxism is. That's what communism is. And this new 21st century Marxism that we are fighting against in our country right now is a Marxism that is focused on cultural institutions first. This this new Marxism understands that in order to topple governmental institutions, you can't just come in and stage a revolution. People have to be conditioned for that, and they're not quite conditioned for that yet. And so what these new Marxists do is they target the family. They target marriage. They target gender. They target sex. They target children. They target education. They target churches. They target all of these Things. I mean, they call them civil institutions. We call them our cultural bulwarks, but they target the heart of our nation. And so we, we do move from debating just plain tax policy or how high of a border wall we want to talking about the defending the aspects of our nation that are that are being targeted in the, the most insidious way. And it, right now, those are the, the institutions of morality.
0: Uh, the co-founder of Black Lives Matter, I'm sorry, and I want to talk more about this Marxist-Communist thing. It's just super important because this communism killed tens of millions of people in just the last century. So we need to make note of this in the name of these militantly atheist values, like these specifically anti-God uh, attacks. Um, so Patrice Collor is one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter. You know this. She grew up Jehovah's Witness. And I think her mom had her when she was 16, and and her church church treated her uh, poorly in her family and she's she has a lot of wounds and trauma from from uh, viewing Christianity. So I think that's one of her appeals personally to this this anti-god uh, religion that is communism. But she's said before that like she is anti-Christian. Like they like Christians represent the opposite of everything that they want and they stand for. And I think they're just keeping their powder dry before they specifically attack churches. So that they're they're marching through the institutions waiting to get to the ultimate institution, which is the church. Do you think that's true?
2: I, I think it's not only true. I think we have evidence of that. All, all of these attacks, these cultural attacks, accelerated in the name of COVID, right? They cracked down on our free speech. They cracked down on our freedom of assembly. And they also cracked down on our, our free exercise of religion. During COVID-19, they forbid us from going to church. They forbid me from, as a, as a practicing Catholic Christian from going to mass. They forbid Jews from going to synagogue. They uh, they prohibited evangelical Christians from going to church services. This is an, a very black and white, very obvious violation of our First Amendment protected right to worship the God that we choose in the way that we choose. And they did this telling us that it was for our own good. They did this telling us that if they didn't do this, we would die and other people would die. But truly what it is, is just an acceleration of the agenda that they already embrace.
0: <clears throat> I would say also that was wild. They used scripture against us like love your neighbor don't go to church (laughs) uh and same thing uh, gavin newsom has billboards uh, in other states saying hey get an abortion in california love your neighbor uh come to california it's like what like unbelievable using god's word uh in the name of abortion and, and not going to church but that's how satan operates uh last question for you liz uh boldness can you speak to the boldness of proclaiming the truth that we all need and we can be more like you where do you get that inspiration why and how are you so bold
2: yeah, of course. And, and one last comment on the Gavin Newsom billboard thing. This is what we're warned about in the Bible. We're warned about false prophets who pretend to be speaking in the name of God, but actually are speaking anti-biblical, anti, anti-Jesus sentiments. That's, that's we're, We've always seen that in the history of Christianity. That's what we're seeing now, and we're going to see that. I find my inspiration in in Jesus Christ, in, in the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, who came to the United States, humbled himself, and was born of born of the Blessed Mother and died on a cross for my sins. I deserve to go to hell. You deserve to go to hell. We all do. We, we've we all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way that we can possibly live for all eternity with God is because of his sacrifice for me. The least I can do is try to help ensure that these other precious souls that Jesus created are also, are also trying to journey towards their heavenly home and journey towards being in eternity with God. That... It supersedes any political ambition any political ideology that i have what i do fighting for politics is to enable people to be able to choose christ to be able to pursue eternity with him and politics oftentimes stands in the way of people being able to do that and that's why that's why i fight
0: amen to that i think it's pretty wild that both of us have tv shows at all uh, let alone both at the first. So let's let's embrace that while we still have it. Uh, Liz Wheeler show every day right here, seven o'clock on the first, and uh, you can check out all of her shows and everything she does at LizWheelerShow.com. Liz, thank you so much. We'll do it soon. Thanks, Mike. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jack Brewer, former NFL football player who has a new ministry in life. We're going to start off talking about Damar Hamlin and just this fascinating cultural thing that happened where when he collapsed on the field, everyone said pray. For tomorrow, not thoughts and prayers. Pray. We had a TV sports pundit on TV prayed for like a minute on TV. I've never seen that before in my life. What happened there? What's going on? We'll get Jack Brewer's take on that next.
1: It was just spiritual, and I just I was going around and just something I was going around my team and saying, God's real. Like, you can't, you can't draw that one up, write that one up any better. Um, and I, I was just told by Kevin Curran, it's been three years and three months, <sighs> since the last kickoff return. So, it's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's weird. I didn't even know about that last, that's, okay. So that's the Buffalo Bills quarterback, DeMar Hamlin, the safety, remember a while back, had, uh, he collapsed on the field. Okay. Everyone thought he was dead. They had to stop the game. It was horrific. He did die, I guess. They had to bring him back to life twice. The first play back a week later, the first play kickoff was a 96-yard return for a touchdown. Like, what? Is that some of the first play back after he collapsed on the field? And then the significance of three months, three years, three months is he's the number three. I mean, come on, what is that? Now, the reason I wanted to bring up DeMar Hamlin right here is it was very fascinating, just from like a sociological perspective, how there was this massive cultural push to pray. Pray for Damar. It wasn't thoughts and prayers, which is like goofy. Like, how do you just like, what are thoughts, right? It was pray for Damar. Fascinating. Jack Brewer is here, former NFL player, and now the head of the Jack Brewer Foundation, which is doing wonderful work, which I wanna get to in a little bit as well.
1: Jack, how are you, brother? I am amazing. God bless you, brother. Thanks for having me.
0: Amen. What, your thoughts on that and the whole Damar Hamlin situation and then our response to it, to pray.
1: I mean, it, it's incredible. You know, the, the Holy Spirit, you can just feel it. You can feel it over this land. Uh, you know, a couple years ago, we were talking about guys kneeling to a flag and idolatry and things of the flesh and of this world. Uh, and now we're seeing uh, men lock arms, all races, sizes and colors uh, to pray over Uh, And when he was wearing that number three, that was very symbolic. Um, You know, Christ rose from the dead in three days. uh, And we watched a man die on the football field. Uh, And he took his own breath again. They removed the breathing tubes three days after. God is talking to this nation. Uh, The number three means something. That's the difference. It's when uh, you start talking about spirituality, what makes Uh, believers in Christ so different is that Christ is raised from the dead. That means he gave us an opportunity for redemption. Uh, And God is showing America right now that we can be redeemed. We must repent of our sins. Uh, He sees all the ugliness going on in our nation, uh, trying to confuse his creation, man, woman, gender, marriage, uh, so much uh, sexual immorality. Uh, going on across our our, our land. And he's telling us to repent and come to him. He loves us. Uh, And I think he uh, is using the football field right now because it was such a place of division, such a place uh, of all these idolatries and fleshly beliefs. Uh, And and now, all of a sudden, uh, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. You're seeing every NFL team uh, kneel before and after games. Uh, I, you know, They fired a coach, uh, Coach Kennedy, fired a coach for praying. Uh, now all of a sudden, uh, a year later, uh, everybody is on their knees, and I think it's a glorious time.
0: Mm. Wow. Perfectly said. Were you a Christian when you were playing in the NFL?
1: Yes, I was. I was a Christian. I prayed before each and every game, after each and every game. been a Christian all my life. I haven't always mm. uh, lived for God in the way that uh, I should, and that I knew I should, but I was born and raised in a church house, uh, singing songs and hymns, uh, and so to see these times, you know, it really, really means a lot uh, to me, our ministry, uh, in our entire society.
0: I ask that because, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think there's always been people praying on the field, but the TV cameras never cover it, they never show it, and That's they right. sure did when this happened.
1: That's right. You know, no one knew what to do. You, Everyone, even in the stands, were praying. I mean, think about it. You got 70,000, 80,000 people praying. You got millions on TV praying at the same time over this man that's dead on the field. They had to resuscitate him for nine minutes. Uh, and so mm. just the fact that he's back functioning, talking. Uh, able to, uh, you know, interact with his family is a miracle. And so, you know, the Bible teaches us that we will see wonders, signs, and miracles. Uh, and right now the National Football League uh, has a chance to to display this miracle. So God uh, is taking ugly and he's turning it into good right before mm-hmm. our eyes. And so, you know, I think Jared Allen, I, I applaud him. I mean, I've been in so many locker rooms with, with various leaders and uh, you know he's special, man. To to have a guy going around literally preaching the gospel uh, in the locker room during such a time. Think about how unifying that is uh, for him to be using the Holy Spirit uh, to move him like that uh, in, in football during these times. I mean, I, I applaud him uh, and and I pray for him uh, and I hope his leadership uh, really just uh, spreads throughout the National Football League.
0: Mm. And I love how Demar said, uh, "God is using me in a different way." and we see that being used clearly, no question. Let me pivot a little bit away from football, but, but not really. Um, Jack Brewer Foundation, you're doing amazing work. You're not just feeding people, you're feeding people the bread of life. That's the most important thing people need. One of my frustrations in our culture today is we don't talk about the soul. It's just never talked about. We're talking about the body, we will talk about the mind. No one ever talks about the soul. You deal, you help people who live in poverty, material poverty, but again, the soul is something that we are ignoring. Can you speak to that for a little bit and the importance of of, uh, of the soul and what the Jack Brewer Foundation is doing to address that? What I think is the most important thing.
1: A- a- amen. I mean we, we go around, we do street ministry to homeless and, and we feed them, but when we feed them, it's not just you know the the, the chicken or the bread or whatever we're giving them. Uh, it's also the Word of God. We actually give our Bibles. Uh, the same things that we do in the prison. We go into the prison uh, and we teach curriculum, but our curriculum uh, also is comes with the word of God and it's faith-based. And I think that's what's so important. You know, Christ said he didn't come here to be served, but to serve and to give his li- His life as a ransom for many. Uh, and so that's what we try to do in everything that we do. And I think it's important in these times, you know, no, ma- no matter what you're talking about, you're talking about politics, you know, so much uh, of our world has gone secular. Uh, and we see that, you know, the faith, Uh, driven um, mentalities and institutions, uh, whether it's our churches, whether it's our our colleges, our Christian colleges and universities, Christian schools, they normally perform better. And there's a reason for that, uh, because they are truly uh, working on the overall man and woman uh, and, and not just, you know, focusing on the flesh, but focusing on the spirit. And that's where we're weak right now as a nation. You know, we have a fatherlessness crisis. Going on in our country right now, in uh, the core of that is the lack of faith. You know, the lack of a father uh, to do what he's ordained to do by God and demanded to do by God, uh, and take care of his children. Uh, you know, and so you know, you look at so many of the evils going on in our real world right now, uh, and they all go go back to spirituality. And you know, it's not a joke. It's not something that can be overlooked. Uh, and and I think it's time for our nation. Uh, to really humble ourselves uh, and take a real drastic step forward uh, in in influencing the spirituality particularly of our youth
0: that's it, Uh, last question for you it'll be the same question uh, that I asked our last guest about boldness Uh, I think in order to have this revival spark that we need and to continue and to make it through the persecution that will uh, definitely come in response is we need to be bold like you where do you get the inspiration to be bold what's your advice to other people to have it as well
1: you know, I haven't always been as bold when it comes to my faith. And I think, you know, once you start walking and walking by faith and actually acknowledging God for the miracles that he, he puts on our lives and the good things that he puts on our lives. Uh, and when you, you know, really consider God a- as your as your sole source uh, of your blessings, then you can humble yourself enough to worship him. God wants us to literally worship him on our knees, honor him and be broken towards God, be humble towards God. And once I started to do that, I got more and more bold. And the more I read scripture, I mean, you know, God says, if you honor me before men, I will honor you before my father, which art in heaven. And so God wants us to speak loud and clear uh, and claim his name above all other names. And that's the word of God. And if we're not willing to claim the name of Jesus Christ, uh, far and high, long and wide, if we're not willing to do that, then he's not going to honor us before uh, his father, which art in heaven. And that's a serious thing. And and so I just pray that this nation can start to claim the name of Jesus more loud, humble ourselves, repent of our sins so that we can heal our land.
0: Amen. Jack Brewer, Jack Brewer Foundation. Go check out that. uh, Check out the Jack Brewer Foundation and support all the wonderful work you're doing. Jack, an honor, sir. Hope we can do it again.
1: God bless you, sir. Thank you.
0: You too. Keep up the wonderful work. Coming up next, uh, speaking of scripture, we're going to go to Acts 16 and tell a story about taking heart. Even in the absolute worst physical, material situation you could possibly be in, you could possibly imagine, still take heart. That's next. Mike Slater, spread the word. <laughs> Hey, Sunday of welcome back to our special about this potential revival, resurgence of Christianity in America today. I'm encouraged by our last two guests, they're wonderful. Um, We kicked off the show talking about persecution because right now there's not a ton of persecution of Christians because it doesn't need to be, right? Because it's still kind of like, this Christianity is kind of ashamed, Kind of scared, a little timid, want to be tolerant of everyone, don't want to proclaim, don't want to be bold. So there's no need for the persecution. But once a revival happens and people are more bold in their faith, then the persecution is going to be more necessary from their perspective and it's going to get uh, a lot. But I don't want the promise of that persecution to be a bad thing. I, that's not bad. We can lament the brokenness of today's culture. We can lament that we don't live in a culture today like we used to, right? Back in the day, the biggest issue at school was cutting in line or who's chewing gum, right? And now we have six-year-olds, six-year-olds shooting teachers, did you hear about that in Virginia? And it, this, when I first heard this, I was like, oh, well, that's, I mean, it's awful. A kid brought a gun to school and was showing it off or something and accidentally fired and hit the teacher. No, no, police say, what we know so far is an altercation took place. So this means a six-year-old shot their teacher. What in the world? This is a far cry from passing notes in class behind the teacher's back. Jeez. There's a theme in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, that persecution results in more blessing. Every time someone was persecuted, the church grew. Hence the expression, the blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs has always been the seed of the church. That's Tertullian who said that. That's a loose translation. A more accurate translation is, I, I, like, I prefer it actually. We multiply when you reap us. We multiply when you reap us, the blood of Christians is seed. I like that better. We multiply when you reap us, the blood of Christians is seed. That was around the year 200. What a baller sentence that is. And there's a process that happens after persecution. There's a process from persecution to production. And let's go through that process. So the first step is persecution. So we'll start with Acts 16. So Paul removes a demon from inside of a young girl who was a fortune teller. She was someone's slave. She was a slave girl, demon possessed, could, could do fortune telling for money, right? That's great news. Paul gets the demon out of her, fantastic. But her owners were ticked off because that girl made them a lot of money. So Paul took away their livelihood. They didn't care about the girl, of course. This has happened before. Jesus once removed the demon from a man, put him, uh, put the demons uh, who we are legion into pigs, and the pigs ran off a cliff and died. And the people were mad at Jesus for killing the pigs. Paul preached in Ephesus, and and uh, people he spread the gospel so well that people took their sorcery magic books and burned them. And there was this guy, Demetrius, who was a silversmith who made silver for the shrines of, like the local temples and stuff. Like he made those little like silver trinkets and stuff. And no one was buying his dumb little trinket pagan idols anymore. So he was ticked off and led this big riot and they tried to kill Paul then too. So this happens a lot, but back to the slave girl. So uh, the Roman, the, the owners were so ticked off. They went to the Roman officials and they stripped Paul naked, beat them with rods. Threw them in prison and put their feet in stocks. No trial or anything. Right to the beating with rods. Beat to a pulp and then thrown into a dungeon. This dark, disgusting, dank dungeon. And now the stocks they used back in the day. They were different than the ones maybe you think uh, we think of from like the colonial times. Or whatever. this is the best image I could find of stocks that they use but they would force your legs into these holes as wide as they could go so you're laying on your back and your legs are in these stocks as wide as wide as wide as your legs can go so you're you're in pain it's uncomfortable you're cramping not pain you're excruciating pain after you were just beat to a pulp you're laying on your back on this disgusting dirt floor as your back was just beaten raw that is the stocks rats coming up and eating at you sitting in your own filth more awful than we could imagine and paul never When he was in prison in the stocks, he was still ministering to the prison guards. Because they never lost hope and they never had a bad attitude. (laughs) Life is all about your attitude. While they were in prison, the Bible says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What? What? (laughs) you kidding me? Let me share a little insight from John MacArthur. Uh, Because people ask, how could they praise God when they just underwent this torture? They were in the midst of the torture. And the reason they were able to work through it, overcome it, is because God never changes. Ever. So if God was worth praising yesterday, He's worth praising today. Still. He never changes. We're to rejoice in the Lord, not to rejoice in our circumstance. So stop worrying about your circumstance. Which does change. Focus on God who has never changed and will never change. So if you're going through a trial, just wait. God is perfecting you and you got to have a good attitude in the process. Why? Paul and Silas did. Sing praises and hymns. We got to be above our circumstances always. Easier said than done, of course. It's supernatural. It's impossible, actually, unless it's done in a supernatural way. Romans 8:28 says, and we know that all things work together for good. You've heard that before, but do you believe it? So back to Paul. So he's there in the, in the stocks and then there's an earthquake and the, the door fell off and the jailer was about to kill himself because his whole life, this whole life was, to, was this profession to keep these people in jail. Now the people are going to, and he failed at his job. So he was going to kill himself. And Paul said, no, no, don't do that. And the jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Notice he didn't say, what in the world is happening? <laughs> he knew what happened. Now he, needed, he wanted to know what he needed to do to be saved. And Paul said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And he did. So there's a process, right? So let's go backwards. You have the production. You have the, the jailer who's now this a Christian man, his whole family as well. Before that, there was preaching, right? From Paul while in prison. Before that, there was singing praises. And right before that, the persecution. So now let's go the other way. You get the persecution, which leads to singing praises, not whining and complaining and moping, Persecution, singing praises. Oh, but what if... Well, no, I, whatever you go with is not worse than Paul and Silas. Persecution is singing praises to preaching to production. And that singing of praise and the preaching is all the more powerful in the contrast to the suffering that they, and maybe in fact you, are experiencing. It's, it's, it's one thing to talk about God when things are going well. But if you can praise God when things are that horrific... Your message is going to be that much more powerful. So don't be afraid of persecution. Don't be afraid of it. Embrace it. Now, you don't need to go seek it out. You don't want to be a troublemaker. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 says, Make it your goal to lead a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. I like that. Peter says, uh, Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. That's good. So there's no need to to go and intentionally cause trouble. Just tell the truth. That'll cause enough trouble. (laughs) That'll cause enough trouble. You tell the truth, this worldly trouble will come, and then so will the eternal blessings. You should be thrilled, thrilled, that no matter what happens in this world, you can walk in truth and joy. Because the world owes you nothing one of my favorite scriptures I remember when I first read this scripture I was blown away and every time I read it every time I think about it I'm still that blown away for this light momentary affliction whatever you're going through right now it's a light momentary affliction oh Slater you don't know what I'm going through I do not but is it worse than what Paul went through? as he considered it a light momentary affliction, what he went through. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. The world focuses on the seen. This is why, as I talked with Jack a second ago, one of my great frustrations is people only talk about the mind, right? Oh, we gotta, that's why I like depression. Oh, you gotta take, you gotta, gotta focus on the mind. The brain chemistry It's a very evolutionary concept where the mind, everything comes out of the mind. But that's not true. It comes from the soul. Where is the soul? I wanna see it. can't. The world focuses on the scene, the things that are temporary. We focus on the eternal. I hope today's show was encouraging inspiring, helpful, and I loved the answers that our two guests gave about being bold. Let us be bold together. Mike Slater, spread the word.
1: Giving you the critical intelligence and analysis you need to start your morning.